Welcome, Will Harris, to the program. So glad to have you here today. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, the pleasure is all mine. You know, what I talk about with my people a lot is about how we're going to have to start doing things very differently in the future. And much of that is going to be of no surprise to, say, my great-grandparents and every generation prior. We have to be smart about being in relation with each other, with the land, with the animals. And I know you are just a world leader in that. So so let's start there. Um, tell us about your operation and how you kind of got on the path you're on. White Oak Pastures. Thank you. Uh, White Oak Pastures is our family farm in Bluffton, Georgia. Bluffton is in southwest Georgia in Clay County, uh, which in 2020 was uh, the poorest county in the United States of America. And my great-grandfather came here in 1866 and, and started White Oak Pastures and ran the farm, followed by his son, my grandfather, followed by his son, my father. My father was born in 1920, took over the farm post-World War II, 1946. And my dad was a very successful farmer. Uh, he... Uh, it was on his watch that the farm was industrialized. You know, under under his dad and granddad, it had been a multi-species farm, raised a lot of different animals, slaughtered them, slaughtered them on the farm, sold the meat six days a week in Bluffton, a little town here. Uh, my dad uh, took a lot of pride in the fact that he moved the business to a purely cattle operation. He was very, very good at it and uh, knew a lot about it and very focused on it and took a lot of pride in that and was very successful. Uh, the farm, uh, when I inherited the farm, there was no debt, about a thousand acres of land. And uh, my dad had done a really good job. And all I ever wanted to do was what he did. Uh, I was born in 1954, went to the University of Georgia and majored in animal science. Uh, and in an effort to, to come home and do what my dad did, industrially raise cattle. Uh, and I did. I came home and uh, raised cattle very industrially, same model as my dad. Probably torqued it up a few degrees and, uh, and, and ran it for 20 years that way and made money doing it. Now, you, you mentioned industrialized. What does that mean? So in my mind, food production today at farming in this country is industrialized, commoditized, and centralized. Mm. And we could talk a lot about uh, what those things mean. We probably assume that they're talking about it. But industrialization means we took something that was very cyclical, this farm, and turned it into something very linear. Instead of being a production system, we became one segment of a very long production chain. You know, mm -hmm. Under my dad's watch, we were simply the place that owned the mama cows, gave birth to the calves, and shipped them to the feedlots in the Midwest. We actually had feedlots here for a while, but ultimately uh, shipped them to the Midwest to feedlots. In that industrialization, when, when you know we sort of impose our will on the order of things there, what what's what's wrong with that? It seems very cost effective. It is uh, it is super uh, cost effective in in terms of production, but the costs are spun off 
somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know the uh, uh, you know the 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 way I used to raise cattle, raise produce beef, uh, was very very cost effective. I could produce pounds of beef at a very very low dollar value. But, you know, that dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico, mm-hmm. I was contributing to that. And the pesticide buildup that's going on all over the world, I was contributing to that. And the, I mean, I can go on and on about things I was contributing to in this effort to produce very low quality feeder, low, low priced feeder mm-hmm. calves. So I was spinning the cost off to other areas. And so, Will, what what was your wake-up call? I mean, did you wake up one day with a blinding epiphany and say, I, I got to do this differently, or just sort of grow on you? Uh, well, it's kind of, a, kind of a blinding epiphany, although I don't know that I would have used those words. Uh, yeah, I, I think that I, I went from really enjoying the industrial cattle production that my dad did and that I learned at the University of Georgia to, to not liking it much because of the excesses of that system. And I became aware of it because I was very excessive, even within that excessive system. Hmm. You know, I, uh, if the label rate on the uh, pesticide said a pint per acre, I probably put a quart. And if it said give the animals two cc's per 100 pounds of body weight, I probably gave them three or four. So I was very heavy-handed. I thought that was, uh, for whatever reasons, I thought that was what I should do. And probably because I was heavy-handed, I became aware of the unintended consequences more so than my others in my peer group. Hmm. And, and what would some of those consequences have been that you noticed? So the, uh, well, the, the probably the most... Uh, profound is the organic matter in my soil went from Mm. over 5% to about a half a percent, one-tenth. And I I saw that. I realized it. You know, I I went from, you know, I would put copious amounts of ammoniated fertilizer, which oxidizes the organic matter in the soil and felt really good about it. I grew copious amounts of forage because I did that. And the level of uh, organic matter in the soil was not something I was focused on. When I sent my soil samples to the University of Georgia, it cost a lot of money to get them to do an organic matter test. I mean, we didn't do that. So the decline of uh, from 5% to 0.5% essentially was, was unnoticed unless you got out there and looked for it. And mm-hmm. I simply got out there and looked for it. So, um, I, you know, we're, we're, um, we have a hobby farm here. We, we got three belted Galloways, got some chickens, um, got about six acres of decent, decent pasture. Probably it's probably tillable. Um, and, but when we got here, uh, it had been owned by some wealthy people who let the farmer up the road, just cut hay and it'd been hayed out probably 15, 20 years with nothing put back on. So when we did our first soil test, zeroed we were zeroed out and it's it's a very well-drained soil very low low carbon uh and also clay so so 
we're just trying to get it back up the curve as quickly as we can. What what would your advice be for us? Animal impact. You will never be able to cost effectively rebuild that soil without animal impact. And and you know, the more animal impact you can put on, the, the more judicious animal impact you can put on. You, you it it is incumbent upon you to restart the cycles of nature on that farm. Mm. And the cycles of nature are, to name a few, the carbon cycle, the water cycle, the microbial cycle, the mineral cycle, the grazing cycle. You know, we, the probably cycles we don't even recognize. Mm-hmm. And for all of those cycles to, and you don't fix one cycle and leave the rest of them, or fix all of them but one. It don't work like that. You either fix it or you don't. And animal impact is an essential element in fixing it. When you said, uh, the guy I've been cutting hay off that farm for years, I, I, I grimaced inside, maybe outside, because I, I, I know what that does. It's, mm-hmm. it's bad. But it can be fixed. Now, um, you get, I mean, to me, all I care about is the soil. So when we first got here, there were little dust devils because it's very sandy. You know, it was a drought year. Uh, and this year is the first year where I went out, and I don't know how it happened, but there are worms all over the field. There's worm casings again, right? Because um, what I'm trying to do here is just allow the grass to grow up. I had to bring in some micronutrients. We were totally stripped clean of boron, sulfur, zinc, even sodium. We were out like zeroed. Um, so I didn't know what to do besides bring those back because we're on a fairly sandy soil. I didn't, I didn't think it, I didn't know how to get it liberated. So I threw that back on. It, it, it helped a lot. Um, but now I'm, yeah. now I'm just, now I'm, now all I care about is, is do we see? I saw crumbles for the first time. You know, this is our, our third year on it. So, but I'm, I'm a, I'm an impatient kind of. I wanna, I wanna speed this up as much as possible. <laughs> good luck. Have, yeah. Good luck. Come yeah. on, what, what's the what's the magic bullet here? Well, compost teas, uh, buying those special supplements from somewhere. Well, you said that guy's been um, baling hay on your farm and hauling it off uh, for mm-hmm. years. Then you're doing the opposite, you know, bringing hay onto the farm and putting it through, particularly ruminant animals, mm-hmm. uh, bringing other feeds onto the farm, importing. You know, you've you. The farm's been exported and exported and exported, and sadly yeah. now you've got to import and import and import. Now, mm-hmm. it can be done without that, but it's decades and decades, maybe maybe centuries, uh, but it can be fixed much more quickly if you will reverse the process and haul onto the farm, which you previously hauled off of the farm. But it does need to be turned into manure, which is like superfood for for microbes and they they need that now um are you familiar with alan booker do you know him he he told us that uh we had to be very very careful he does a lot of regenerative stuff but he told us we had to be very careful of importing because of now there's the these herbicides grazon like uh, you, you can accidentally bring trauma back in if you're not careful so that was a whole nother level that we had to now query the farmer and we know the farmer and we know his field but we also know the person who he sometimes get haze from, and we know their field. Like we've had to get, you have to be really careful these days, don't you? You know, you mentioned gray zone, and uh, and I I used a quart of gray zone per acre every acre every year, sometimes twice, and I and it it does uh, persist in the soil horribly, 
it does have a half-life. It will eventually go away or become less and less and less. But yeah, I mean, what you what you bring it onto the land, you know, trash in, trash out. But mm-hmm. mainly, bring you getting organic matter into onto the land, especially in the form of manure, is just so so beneficial. You got to feed those you got to feed those microbes so they can feed the plant, so the plant can feed the soil. It's very yeah. everything is so so very cyclical. You know what we tried to make it so linear, but it's it's not. It's it's very cyclical. Well, how is business these days? Are people catching on and understanding the importance of, you know, paying a premium for good quality food? Is that where we're are people getting there or more to go? More to go. Uh, people are, people, increasingly people are aware of, uh, of the ills of, of modern food production, and that's great. The uh, big major food companies are increasingly skilled at greenwashing, and that's mm. horrible. And, mm-hmm. and it, it really, <clears throat> so our business was uh, really quite profitable for a small family farm back in the early 2000s when I started actually having something to sell that was a, a regenerative grass-fed beef. Or not. And we did well. Uh, I'm not sure of the year. I think it might have been 2005, but they changed the rule own product of the USA. Uh, prior to the change, uh, in the case of cattle, they had to be born, raised, and slaughtered in the United States to be a product of the USA. But they changed the law, changed the rules, so that if, if value is added in the United States, it's a product of the USA. And that opened the gates for imported grass-fed beef from 20-something countries, Uruguay, New Zealand, Australia, 17 or 18 other countries, uh, could bring in grass-fed beef, and somehow they do it cheaper than we can. And it, it uh, you know, it's, it's just a real problem. Greenwashing is uh, the nemesis of this uh, enlightened sort of agriculture, land management that, that some of us uh, is our passion. I've never understood how they can do that cheaper and ship it. Like you go to the store and you see a bottle of Argentinian wine for five bucks. I don't even know if I could buy the bottle empty for that much. You know, if I had to, if I was uh, setting up a business, I, I am still confused by that and how that actually operates. Um, yeah, I, I, I am too. And I, I don't want to, I'm sure there's some fantastic uh, winemakers and grass-fed beef producers in those countries that probably do everything right. I suspect maybe there's some that don't, and I'm I'm not sure how these low costs make it to our shores, but they do. And, you know, I I think that if, if, if the product was properly labeled, legitimately labeled, so that people could tell what they're buying, some people are still going to buy the cheapest product out there, and that's fine. That's that's their right. But let's let's tell the truth on the package so that people can make that decision. Mm-hmm. That's that's what we advocate for. I, I would totally agree. I don't know if you're familiar, but right now in Germany, there's this huge farmer protest. They're they're like taking over all the major highways and cities, and there's just you know thousands of tractors and all this and that. Um, and their main complaint seems to be that that it's just it, it's becoming impossible to farm 
because it's just more regulations, more fees, more taxes. They pass more rules. A good friend of mine is a is a dairy farmer up out of Maine. And just hearing the endless litany of it, just every there's these rules that just come along and every one of them comes with a price tag, but no funding. Right. And over time, you find out that, you know, they end up it, the commodity cost is the same as it was 10 years ago. But your input costs have doubled in some cases. It, it just gets harder and harder. Does that feel is that at all feel intentional to you? I mean, are these people is this intentional or are these people just ignorant who pass these rules? Which which way do you lean? Oh no, oh no, people are not ignorant. I mean, they they absolutely uh, it's not ignorance. You know, there 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 are agendas there, and I'm not you know I'm not the best guy to analyze all those things. Uh, you know, big big food, big ag, big tech uh, are the enemies of those of us who farm in a more natural. Uh, an environmentally focused way. Mm -hmm. I use a lot of adjectives there. Uh, the the you know the so what is it? Uh, I, I, it depends on who, whose numbers you look at. But like fifteen cents of every food dollar goes to the farm. Now that that depends on what whose report you're looking at and what commodity you're looking at. But I think that number's commonly bannered around. <clears throat> you know. At White Oak Pastures, a hundred cents of every dollar that we sell direct to consumers comes back to this farm. Now the farm is not that profitable, but the community is so much better off. You know the uh, uh, mm -hmm. you know I told you that Clay County, Georgia, it was the poorest county in the United States in uh, in twenty twenty. I think that's right. Uh, what I didn't tell you is that I, I've got one hundred and seventy or so employees. And my payroll is a hundred thousand dollars a week in Bluffton, Georgia. I mean, it is an economic game changer, and and it looks like it. If you visited Bluffton, Georgia today, it is a very nice little community. It's tiny, but it's nice, and people and the quality of life is very good here. And that's completely different from what we had. 15 or 20 years ago, when this was quickly becoming a ghost town. The only thing you could buy in Bluffton was a stamp. And, mm -hmm. and that was about two hours a day. And you needed to know which two hours you could get in there and get a stamp. And today is a nice little town. And it's because of that over 85 cents staying here locally. And I believe we're producing... Well, I know we're producing twenty something million dollars worth of food that I think it's real good food. I think it's I think it's good. I think it's good for you. I know it's good for the local economy. I think it's good for your body. I think it's good for the water that's flowing off this farm to the Gulf of Mexico. Mm -hmm. I think it's good for the pesticides that are put up. That sh they show up in the polar ice caps. Come on, pesticides. Mm -hmm. So. You know, I think there's a lot of benefits. I and mean, this gets back to what we talked, what you mentioned earlier about these, these costs of cheap commodity products that aren't paid for when you buy that cheap commodity. Those, those, those costs are scattered out over the rest of, of the planet. 
I don't, I don't even want to talk about global warming and stuff like that. That's above my pay grade. But all these things that that we have done to industrially produce food. And when I say we, I mean me. I was a very industrial uh, producer for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Have great cost. Yeah, the... Um... As they as they say in uh, in the nutrition space, uh, cheap food is expensive uh, because it, it'll give you all kinds of health issues over time and and uh, and all of that. But you know, I'm I'm of an age, right? So I'm 61 now. I, my nickname was she Nature did. Boy when I yeah <laughs> born in 62. I heard when you were born. <laughs> it's coming. I got to move somewhere warmer. We we know this is true. Uh, but when I, but I, my name was Nature Boy. I was outside all the time, right? If you said, hey, show me, can you show me a, a frog or a toad or a snake? I wouldn't show you a frog, toad, or snake. I knew which one. Like, they, they were all known to me. So I was pretty observant, and I did all kinds of fishing and hunting and stuff like that. And I can tell you today, Will, I am terrified by the lack of insects that I see. They're just they're just missing, right? You, you Sure, you get some, but they're, they're, when I was a kid, when I was a boy, if you left the light on on the porch... And you woke up in the morning, it was like a menagerie, right? Walking sticks and big moths and these giant staghorn beetles. I don't see those anymore. Kind of like the dead zone in the Gulf. I think that the that it's very clear that the cost of our industrial agriculture, not to put it all on agriculture alone, but the cost of that is exceedingly high. And I think we're, we're going to skate towards the edge of, of oblivion. Like a, insects are a 400 million year old food web. You talk about the cycles, that's a... I don't see the birds coming back anymore. So I just, it's very obvious to me that, that there's something really not good happening outside. And I don't know that most people know that um, these I, days. I, I know it. I know it. I understand it completely. And I can tell you that one of the ancient Greeks said, for every pestilence that nature sends, she sends the cure. Mm. And that's the way it's supposed to work. But what we did post-World War II, my dad's generation and later mine, is we adapted these technologies to kill things. Side means kill, right? Pesticide, herbicide, insecticide, nematicide. Side means kill. So we took, we embraced this reductionist production model so that we became hunters and we walked the fields and pastures and paddocks and whatever we saw that we didn't like, we killed it. We had a side that we killed, and they were highly efficacious. It killed a hell out of it, mm-hmm. but it killed other things too. It never just killed the target. So when we would use these pesticides to kill the target. We threw things out of bounds because we killed other things too. So something else would surface as a pest or a problem, and we would kill that. And something else would surface. And the more sides, pesticides we put out there, the more things we kill, the more pesticides we need. And it's a it's a it's a cycle that is horribly destructive. It's horribly expensive, but it's horribly destructive. And we are in the midst of it. And when I, and I was a, a perpetrator, I used, I was good at the side business. I was a good hunter. But when I quit, it was painful. 
it was because I would see these problems out there and I would not use the, the technology to get rid of it. And I just had to put up with it. And it took a long time to get things in balance. And now I've gone from looking for something to kill to keeping things alive, keeping things going. And that's, that's what I do for a living. Mm. So you, you had this, uh, this, this blinding epiphany at some point you quit, you, you quit the dark side. I've heard about that side. What did you, of your successes, what did you do where you just look back and you say, yeah, I got that right. I'm sorry. What did so ask the question again? What, what, when you look back, what are your successes? Like you look back and you say, okay, that was hard, but that was the right thing to do. Maybe you didn't know it at the time, but when you look back, what, what, what really turned the corner for you in this story? Well, I don't know this. I, don't, I mean, it depends on the area you look at, you know, the, the number of you know, the soil we talked about a half percent to 5%. My my herd going from animals that parasites just ate them up. I had to put you know give them wormer and spray for flies to a really healthy herd that is so much uh, self maintaining. Huge cattle that I had to haul feed to to much smaller, more efficient cattle that breed and have babies and raise them. Uh, uh, the town has gone from being literally a ghost town to being a very nice little place to live. Uh, having uh, four, three or four minimum wage employees to having 170 employees that make significantly above the county average. Uh, so I'm not proud of what our people make. It's not much, but it's, mm -hmm. it's significantly above the county average. So, I mean, there's just... Where do you want to look? There's something good just about everywhere. That's you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm not even counting the fact that I'm not contributing to killing the Gulf of Mexico like I used to or contributing mm -hmm. to pesticides being up there and whatever. That is fantastic. I mean, congratulations. That's really quite a quite a legacy you've got there. Um, and $100,000 a week coming in is an amazing thing. Well, and I'll um, tell you another one. I'll tell you another one. I have a, I'm the... Uh, fourth generation of my family to manage this farm. And I have three daughters, two of them and their spouses came back and they wouldn't have in the industrial model. And they've got five babies who are back on the farm. That's, that's incredible. Congratulations on that too. I know, I know what that means. That means a lot. Um, so uh, is, if we, so are other people, like, do other farmers follow your model? I'll tell you what, I uh, I was watching a video of Gabe Brown, right? So there he is up in North Dakota, 15 inches total moisture to work with a year, you know, and somehow without bringing any inputs, he's managed to like turn his farm around and, and do this incredible thing at scale, right? 3,000 acres. But his neighbor's been right next door to him for 30 years watching and hasn't changed a thing. Still compacts their soil, still has horrible water intrusion of, you know, maybe a half inch per hour you know, uh, just does the whole model and, and it's clearly successful. Do you have the Gabe, same experience? Yes. Is that Gabe Brown you're talking about? Yeah. Gabe Brown's my best friend. I've been to his farm. He, he's been down here and he's coming back week after next. He's, uh, and we talk about it all the time, but yes, we've got the same, the same situation. You know, none of my, 
family, friends, relatives uh, have embraced this sort of farming. And it's not their fault. They're good people. They're wonderful people. Uh, but they're doing what their dad and probably granddad did. They're doing what they learned at the University of Georgia or Auburn University or the University of Florida. Mm-hmm. They're doing what the county agent tells them to that comes around. They're doing what the pesticide salespeople that are very sharp, smart, highly paid professional people tell them. What, they're doing what they they believe they're supposed to be doing, and they're making a pretty decent living at it. I mean, it's not these farmers are not starving. Uh, it's not a good return on investment. Guess what? White Oak Passage is not a good return on investment. And I love it, but uh, these you can't say these guys are stupid for farming that way. They're not stupid. They're farming the way they've been trained, they've been positioned, they've been shaped, and they're good at it. And the market does not reward them to change. Mm-hmm. The market does not reward them to change. So guess what? Probably not many going to change. Yeah. Um, Charlie Munger, who just passed recently, said, you show me the incentive, I'll show you the outcome. Has nothing to do with whether the good people are bad. But I get it. That's what I'm really poking at here is the incentives of the system are, are very much always trying to push us towards cost efficiency as if the dollar was this amazing thing. And that's what matters most is just the cost efficiency. But that's that's clearly killing us at this point in time. I mean, you look at all the big stats on our country. You know, probably the least healthy we've ever been, more obesity, more people on psychoactive drugs, whatever. But you could probably guess that maybe something our our food (laughs) is somewhere responsible for this. And we're still not having that conversation in the media. But I tell you, this conversation is growing at the edges all the time. COVID woke a lot of people up to what's actually going on out there in in the health and nutrition space. And it's um, a lot of people making up their own minds now. So I think this is actually a good a good moment in time. Well, you're a little more optimistic than I am. I hope you're right. I agree with what you're saying. But there is so much money uh, out there in uh, uh, the in the agricultural supply chain coming and going. There's so uh, there's so much uh, so so much technology out there that's so expensive. The, these costs that we incur that are spun off that everybody covers is, uh, is, is an issue. The consumer's bandwidth is so mm-hmm. narrow and it's so hard to understand. And the big multinational corporations are so skilled and gifted at messaging and greenwashing mm-hmm. that uh, I, I agree with everything you said. I hope it's true. But I'm not as optimistic as you. People, hmm. people, you know, my food. Let's just face it, my food costs more than industrial food. It just does. I'm, I'm unapologetic about it. I hate it, but I'm unapologetic about it. And so many people out there are so uh, confused by this really skilled, intentional greenwashing that keeps things. That question, uh, you know, and it's just a matter of time before the, those of us in the leadership are turned into victims. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, if you uh, if 
if any of us say says too much, like me, that's probably me. Uh, you know, because it, it can be a lot of uh, a lot of adversity brought. I don't mean a hitman. I mean, uh, you know, government investigation or bad media or whatever happens to people. So, you know, this I, I think I don't think we're uh, in the home stretch on improving our. Uh, farming and eating situation. Well, you, you may be right. I'm just noticing more people waking up, um, which is good. It may not be critical mass yet, but, um, and you're right. There are big dark forces that are very interested in keeping us divided, confused, fighting each other. And if necessary, they will bring down some harassment. You get shadow banned, outright banned, censored, maybe government agents. And then they'll go, they'll, they'll go, they'll take that as far as they need to, to get what they, what they want. And, but again, you show me the incentive, I'll show you the outcome. So it's all about money. Um, our money system is is really kind of broken because uh, it, it allows some really bad things to happen, unfortunately, worldwide. But this is about to change big time, I think, over this um, you know uh, next few years because, let's face it, our country's broke right now, um, and but we're spending more. You know, uh, it, it just sooner or later, I think that what you have is actually what every single town is going to want is having its own base of production for its own food. It's going to need it. And if it can do it sustainably or regeneratively even better, I think that is the highest asset any locality could be have. They're, they're, your, your area is very lucky to have you there. Well, well I'm, 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 I certainly feel fortunate in that, uh, this, that this change occurred on my watch. Mm. You know, the uh, my great-grandfather and grandfather had, you know, watches on the farm, and they did uh, what they could or should have done during those watches, and it was successful. My dad took over the farm and during the industrialization and did what he had to do and was successful with it. I'm just really glad this occurred on my watch. I, mean, I think it's, uh, yeah, you know, I'm doing what I want to do. And, and mm. it's, uh, it feels good, and, and I'm, I'm really enjoying doing it. Well, fantastic. So um, in terms of um, getting these these cycles all going again, so you mentioned, you know, soil cycle, hydrological cycle, all that. What's, um, you, you mentioned uh, animal impact is the thing I need to be focusing on potentially. Um, what, what would a, what would a, can, what would somebody like uh, say they've just got a house, you know, and maybe a, a garden? What what would be the approach that they might take to really beginning to improve the the abundance and richness of their of where they live? Well, that's that's a little bit like how long is the string. I mean, it depends on how big that that garden spot is and where it is. But to to have uh, you know, you got to have some animal impact. You know, you can't have if you got a yard, you don't have a cow, but you can have some rabbits and some chickens and some. Maybe some sheep or goats, depends on how big the yard is. Mm -hmm. I think the cattle. I'm I'm a cow guy, but but that that just that's everybody's default. Is I want to get some cattle when they got a piece of land, and and often I see them putting cattle where there's just not enough land there to make that work well. You can do it, but to make it work well, mm -hmm. but to to uh, and you know you're. You're talking to a farmer, not a homesteader. I mean, I'm a stockman, not a homesteader. So I'm I'm yep. not the best guy to ask what you should do with your 
0.3 acres because I hadn't, I've never had 0.3 acres. I always had a, a farm. But I do think that uh, the first thing you do is you, you focus on restart, restarting those cycles of nature. It's not rocket science. I mean, you know, if you just go outside and look and think about it, the, you know, the water cycle, the carbon cycle, the mineral cycle, the, you know, all these things uh, have a, a, a natural course that can be followed. And, and you know, the, the rules are the same, whether you're in the upper Midwest or the coast of California or Florida, but, but the ecosystem is different. So you've got the rules are the same, but you've got to to play it differently. And I, you know, one of the things that's wrong, one of the things that's wrong with our educational system is we have turned it into such a linear. I've already said that one mm-hmm. time. Such a linear that that you know if you become a a, a soil a soil scientist, you can be a good soil scientist whether you're in the Everglades or on the mountain or on the Great Great Plains. If you're a plant pathologist, you good all over the world. These professors, you see them go from one land grant to the other, from northeast, southwest. I'm not sure that's the way it's supposed to be. I think we're supposed to become uh, experts in our own ecology. You know, I mm-hmm. think I'm really good at doing what I do in Bluffton, Georgia. When I go see my friend Gabe in North Dakota that you just mentioned, I, I'm just super aware of the fact that I have no idea what you ought to do here. Yeah. With cattle, with cattle, I mean, what I'm basic to. So it's, uh, uh, you know, it's just in my mind becoming so knowledgeable in one little narrow uh, discipline. It's like watching a baseball game through one slap gone in the fence. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and I come from a, a, a philosophy that you need to be able to see the whole thing. It may, may, may be much more shallow. It will be much more shallow. But it, you can see the whole process in play. I agree. I agree. We, we're on our flatlands is maybe 28 acres. We got another 200 up the hill. I don't know anything about what's going on up there because I don't visit it enough. You know, it's all trees and woods and stuff. But even just on the flat, I every corner of my field is different. I'm just learning that in the third year. I'm sure by 10 years, I'll actually figure out how they're different in some way, but I can tell they're different, you know? They drain different. They get different wind patterns. They, it's just, everything's different, even on that that small of a scale, yeah? So... Well, Wendell Berry talks about the the value of a man knowing his land, all the little nuances of of his of, of his parcel of land, whether it's five thousand acres or point five acres. It don't it don't matter. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I, I really do appreciate what you're doing, and I, I love that you you make time to talk to people about it. I do, in my heart of hearts, know that regenerative agriculture. Right here's my pessimist coming out. People are like, oh, you know, we should get on solar energy. I'm like, one way or the other, in 100, 200 years, we're going to be on solar energy, 100. <laughs> percent But maybe, maybe like your great granddad, you know, <laughs> we'll get there. It's not clear to me that we're going to be able to keep this whole complex techno thing going. Maybe, but um, there's some some issues there potentially. So, so with that, um, I, I really support what you're doing. 
uh, and I would like to direct people to your website and to understand that when they are buying stakes or whatever they're buying from you, that that those those are being sold at, at the cost that's necessary to produce quality food that isn't ruining the world. Did, did you know that we just released a book? I did not know that. Sorry. We did. We did. Uh, uh, a Bold Return to Giving a Damn is the name of it. And uh, it was just released this fall. Uh, Penguin, Viking, Random House. Uh, and it's, uh, it, it's a book about white oak pastures and the evolution from food raised properly to food raised industrially and, and, and the journey back to food raised properly. So I hope you'll, hope you'll uh, have a look at it. A bold return to giving a damn. Absolutely well. Absolutely well. And would uh, just without reading it, I'm sure I could recommend it to everybody here. And whiteoakpastures.com, is that the correct website for people to go to? Whiteoakpastures.com, yes, sir. Yeah. And uh, it's. Uh, I, I hope to to come down and, and have a visit someday. Do you have tours? Do, do you allow people to come see? No, we do. We, in fact, that's, uh, you know, transparency and genuineness is what we got to sell. I mean, I can't, I, you know, if, you, if you're asking people to buy beef that costs more than the other beef, you darn well better have something to show them about why that is. And we feel like if we can get people to the farm, we can make customers out of them. So we have a, we have a, a, a restaurant here on the farm that serves 21 meals a week. Mm-hmm. We've got lodging. We've got cat cabins you can come stay in. We've got an RV park. Uh, we got a store. It, it is a we we've it's a it's a very rural area and there wasn't a lot of commerce and, and we've really turned it into a place that I I hope people will want to come and visit. How, how many could could you host at a time? Hmm. I'll have to ask my daughter. <laughs> uh, probably twenty five or thirty. I mean, it's not. It's not big. We're 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 adding to that gradually, and uh, yep. as well as we can. But it's um, it's uh, yeah. We you know we have we have we we also have. I mentioned this to you because I think this this is this isn't trying to sell anything. This is trying to try to help people. But we formed a five hundred one c three about two years ago. They call CFAR, Center for Agricultural Resilience. And we've got a very uh, talented executive director, Dr. Carly Redding. And she uh, hosts sessions here on uh, the, what we do from uh, uh, <clears throat> the, the gardening to the beekeeping to the, the things that the, the more animal agriculture things that I'm personally more interested in. So um, also to check out uh, CFAR, Center for Agricultural Resilience. Well, fantastic. We'll do that. And um, um, part of my team lives down in Georgia, down in LJ, um, wow. which is up north. But um, we, we do get down there a bit. And when we went and visited, we had a, a, a nice, uh, last, not last year, the year before, we, we took our crew went to um, Swope, Virginia, to Joel Salton's place. We had about two two fifty show up for that because uh, v- a lot of people very very passionately involved in what you're doing, and I, I I have to see it myself. I would love to come sometime and bring some people. And you know what? You know the first thing I do. 
I was, I just grab some soil and I smell it. That's the, like, right. You just, that's, you can, that's my, that's my primary way of understanding what's happening somewhere. Yeah. Well, uh, it's the soils that we've uh, managed for 25 years, uh, you'd be very pleased. It's uh, over 5% organic model, and it's just really, it's just incredible what it's, what it's doing. You know, we've got farms that I've had for shorter periods of time. In fact, we've got about 2,000 acres that we're grazing that is uh, solar voltaic arrays. And we have the contract to maintain the vegetation, and we do it with sheep. we got about three, 4,000 sheep out there. And we also we have, we have to do some mowing too, because these when when they when these solar voltaic companies buy these farms, they're already horribly degraded from industrial farming, and then it's a construction site for a year or two, so they really mm -hmm. chop it up, and then they turn it over to us and uh, to to graze and, and maintain to keep the vegetation down, which is grazing is my my goal. And when we first get them, we have to mow and mow and mow. We don't spray, but we do have to do a lot of mowing. <clears throat> but as time goes on, we do less mowing and more grazing as the soil uh, heals and becomes more microbially active and the, and the uh, organic matter raises up. And, and it's, it's just incredible what having those grazing animals does versus what just mowing does or spraying worse. That's that's an impressive thing. Do you have to reseed under there usually? Uh, no, well, not 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 after we get it established. When they get when they during the construction project, we we had to uh, the first one. The first one I did uh, was not seeded very well, and and it was rough. But then they uh, the the companies really embraced what we're doing. It's called Silicon Ranch. They're from Nashville, and they they're very much advocate grazing now and they uh, 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 allow us to establish the grass before they do the construction project. So the construction project damages the grass, but it's so much better than just starting out with that raw earth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. God, so impressive. So um, God, I wish you all the best All and, and thank you so much for making time today. We'll, we'll get this out there to everybody who follows my work and uh i i'm gonna stay in touch because i really want to come take a take a tour sometime we'll bring some people along and um and i would advise everybody go check out whiteoakpastures.com got a great store there it's great operation i mean you got a restaurant you got tours obviously but the base load is is farming and farming right i really admire what you're doing well thank you very much i do look forward to your visit hope you will come thank you thank you well, all the best. Will, thank you so much for your time. Hope you enjoyed this, everyone. Thanks, Chris.